In life, we encounter people every day, all of whom have stories to share. We rarely take the time to ask people their personal stories, many of which will touch, move, and inspire us in some way. Matt has a passion for making authentic connections and learning about people from all walks of life. He has lived a life of giving back to the community and making a difference in people's lives. Are you ready to meet fascinating people and hear some inspiring stories? The Matt Hilton Show will introduce you to a world of possibilities you never knew existed. Sit back, be present, and enjoy. Here's your host, Matt Hilton. Hey everyone, Matt Hilton here, the host of The Matt Hilton Show. Thank you for joining us today. You don't want to miss this episode. My guest today is a friend of mine from church, and he has led a life full of recovery, relapse, and a love for helping people and a deep relationship with God. You don't want to miss this episode. Stay tuned for a word from our sponsor. Inspired, experienced, customer-focused. Find a mortgage that fits your needs with Maria Leach at First United Bank Mortgage, specializing in construction and closing all types of loans, including jumbo, portfolio, conventional, FHA, and VA. A tenured team, outstanding service, competitive programs. Finance your dreams with Maria Leach at First United Bank Mortgage. mleach.firstunitedteam.com, 214-316-7915. M. Leach at firstunitedbank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hey friends, Matt Hilton here. Thank you for tuning into the Matt Hilton Show today. Today's guest is a friend of mine and you know someone that I've met through going to church uh, here in the Dallas area. And I wanted to invite Jason Statzer on the show with me today and uh, so he could tell his story uh, to you. So Jason, welcome. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Matt, for having me. Yes, sir. For sure. For sure. So I want to start out with your shirt. Um, normal isn't coming back. Jesus is. So what is normal? <laughs> you want the Webster's Dictionary version? Or... I'm just wondering, what does this shirt mean to you? What is normal? Normal, man. I've, you know, I've never even lived a normal life, so I, I really have no idea how to answer that question. Yeah, so normal isn't coming back. It isn't yeah. coming back for me. Yeah. Whatever yeah. that means. Whatever that means. And I think it's very subjective, right? Uh, to everyone in the audience. Normal maybe means something different to me than means to you and means to, to any of you out there. So yeah, interesting stuff. So, yeah. so tell me a little bit about you and tell the audience about you. So start with like, where'd you grow up? You know, your family makeup, all that sort of stuff. So let's start there. Sure. Um, so, um, uh, my family's farmers. Uh, we're a farmer bloodline from West Texas, Clovis, New Mexico, Muleshoe, mm-hmm. Texas area. Uh, my, um, uh, I guess my family they they farm crops and and we they they did farm farming mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I got to be raised in the city, and I'll tell you why. Um, I, I um, was born into a disabled family. By the time I came around, my mother and father had already had a baby, and the baby um, had a crib accident. My brother was in a crib accident. Okay. He suffered anoxic brain damage, which means he cut off all the oxygen to his brain, and um, at four months old. So during that time, um, they were looking for better care than what they were finding in the area mm-hmm. of uh, where they were where they were raised. So um, I was born in Amarillo, and then my um, then then by the time I was around two years old, I'd moved to Dallas. Okay. And um, the main the main thing that brought us to Dallas was the Scottish Rite Hospital for for the for disabled children. 
So they had a, they, my brother's deaf blind, he's severely, profoundly, um, developmentally delayed, would be the proper way to say it today. Mm -hmm. um, and we just raised him through these different programs and, and hospitals and care, care places for the disabled. Right, right. Wow, so that, that was your normal, yes. right, growing up, right? Um, having a, a disabled older, so how much older is he? 14 months. 14 months. Yeah, that's a, that's a kind of a crazy part of my story too because, so my brother was, my brother was he, he suffered this crib accident at the age of four months, mm -hmm. okay? And somewhere during these 45 days in the hospital, I was conceived. And my mom would always tell me, I have no idea how this happened because obviously my mind wasn't in the, in that type of spot, right? you know? And, um, so I just, she, she just suddenly found out that she was going to have me and it scared her. Like, um, I know when I put myself in a, in a woman's shoes with, with a, with a disabled baby, I would be scared to have a, another baby. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, my mom, my mom went through some, some, uh, she had some mental problems with this because she blamed herself and she was really scared to have another child. Right. Right. And Jason, if it, if questions get too personal, let me know. But as far well, as how did this happen in the crib? Like, well, I'm an open brother? book and I have no secrets. So. Um, the way my mother explained it to me, she, she, Nathan was, it was time to feed Nathan. His name is Nathan. I'm sorry. I didn't, I don't think I ever mentioned that, but, uh, it was time to feed Nathan and Nathan. So she laid Nathan down in, in the crib and, and, and did like any mother would, would go get the bottle ready or whatever the yeah. case may be. And of course he's crying, throwing a fit or whatever, you know, how babies are when they're hungry. Sure. And he rolled over, and he rolled over. And in 1973, the mattresses actually were a lot smaller than the cribs themselves. There was mattress, you know, the mattresses were at least six, if not eight inches gap in between the mattress and the railings of the crib. So his head got stuck in there, and she didn't know that. And by the time she got back in there, I mean, it all happened so fast that... Right. He was blue, apparently. So she rushed him to the hospital, and right. and nobody ever, nobody expected him to live. I mean, they, they, the doctors would tell my mom that he's never going to sit up. He's never going to be turning his head from side to side. He's never going to have a normal life, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, he's probably not going to make it. And forty nine years later, he's still here. No, uh, 46 years okay. later, okay. he actually passed, um, he passed, uh, April 18th of 2020, okay. but <clears throat> two weeks before his 47th, 47th birthday. Yeah. So yes, we, we got, we were blessed with him for 47 years, but he functioned like a 2.1 month old baby mm -hmm. his whole entire life, right. deaf, blind baby just like a deaf blind baby yeah. yeah yeah so that was your normal um jason so how what was that like day to day like were you 
if he was in the hospital, I guess, did you visit him every day? Like, what was that like on a day-to-day basis? Well, my main, as as I got older, you know, I mean, I I can remember my first chore when I was two Mm. was um, my mom said, go get two diapers. I need one for your brother and I need one for you. So that's the start of it. Mm-hmm. Every time I did anything, I did it for Nathan first. Right. Got to get up and go to school. Got to get ready to go to school. I got up and got Nathan dressed, bathed, fed, medicated so he could catch the bus. Because mm-hmm. a special needs bus come pick Nathan up and took him to his special needs classes and stuff or whatever. And then I got Jason ready. Jason took a shower. Jason, mm-hmm. Jason took care of him. So anything that you need to do to take care of yourself. I did for my brother first. Yeah. And that was my normal. Helping others mm-hmm. was my normal. Yeah. So as you graduate from high school, what happens at that point? Whenever you... Uh... So I didn't graduate from high school okay. because I went left um, around the high school age. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was rebellious and um, I was tired of this and that and I had my anger issues and and uh, that's the only way I was able to take it out it was, was to not care about school. I just never, I've never, since the third grade, I've never really been able to pay attention to school. Okay. And um, they identified a, a comprehensive problem. So I took special classes because, like, I would read a story, but I wouldn't tell you what the, I couldn't, been, I couldn't tell you what the story was about or what it meant or I didn't comprehend the gist of it. I just didn't get it. So I didn't actually graduate high school. Okay. But um, when I did turn 18, I went and met my, my biological father. And, uh, and well, I mean, I guess that's right when my, my, my addiction started getting worse, really. So. Addicted to what? Well, um, I started doing drugs when I was about 13. Um, it started with smoking marijuana, cigarettes and marijuana, mm-hmm. and then it was drinking. And I, I thank my stepfather for these things because when I was 14 years old, my father bought me a fifth of tequila for my birthday. My mom threw a fit, but my dad's retort was, if the boy's going to drink, he's going to drink around us. And I never thought about drinking. But once he introduced me to that, I was having kind of, it was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it was a bonding thing with me and my dad. It was, it was kind of a weird bonding thing, but that's what was going on. He was trying to really bond with me. Right. And in a way I wasn't really cared to, but I did yeah. because I really wanted to bond with him. I wanted my dad's, mine and my stepdad's relationship to be different than what it was. Sure. So I would do anything it I would do anything to to make it that way. Yeah. So as you're drinking, smoking cigarettes, marijuana, um, you develop an addiction. Does that lead to anything else, or do you pretty much stick to marijuana? No, it it led me to a lot of a lot of worse things. And I was I was doing I was doing heroin and cocaine in high school, uh, and I was doing it with my dad. I was I was yeah I just. It started in high school doing cocaine, and then it turned to heroin, and then as I got older, it turned to meth. 
And once I discovered meth, I got lost, like, really. Um, once I, just once I started doing that stuff, I, I learned how to make it. And I mean, I went through the, I went through the, the lengths of keeping that stuff around me in my life, in my pocket, mm-hmm. because I enjoyed the feeling. I loved it. So when I found something I love to do, I get into it and I, mm-hmm. and I study it. So that's what happened with that. And then 25 years later, I realized, what am I doing? You know, 25 God, years later. Yeah. I heard that right, right? 25 years of drug use total, yeah. What type of a toll does that do on a body? Well, <clears throat> I mean, I lost all my teeth. It melted my teeth away, and um, I, I really didn't know how to live a life without doing drugs. So there's a lot of life that I've never, I've been so lost in drugs that I, I missed. Yeah. I feel like I've missed. Mm-hmm. Um, education or getting a degree or becoming somebody in life, you know, actually becoming anybody was something I missed out on. You know, those are from my those are words from my shoes. Right. You know, I'm sure that my, there's neighbors out there who would think differently. Um, but from where I stand, you know, I don't I don't have a title. Mm-hmm. You're Jason. That's, that's I have a name. That's your name. I have a name. Mm-hmm. And God recognizes that name. Amen. He does. So, he does. Yes, he does. Yes. yes, he does. So 25 years later, what happened? Like what woke you up? So I, um, the story goes like this. I was off on one of these bridges that you see behind us here. Not these particular bridges. I was about to say these? Okay. okay. Not these particular ones, but a mm-hmm. bridge like it. It was Gross mm-hmm. Road at 635. You want to be technical. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I, and what was going on this night is I was, uh, I had a, I had a bad deal go down. My girlfriend broke up with me. My car broke down. This and that, that and this, you mm-hmm. know, had dis- different problems piling up on me, and um, and I didn't have no solutions but, but to suicide. I was that angry, and I was so angry with myself. It wasn't even about my life. It was about me because I know I'm smarter than this, mm-hmm. and, I, and I know I'm better than this, but I just didn't know how to get out of it. You know, by this time and by this time in my life, I was selling, I was selling drugs, mm-hmm. and um, and that's 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 all my friends would let me do. You know, even if I wanted to quit, another friend would say, "Hey, look out, hit me up, this and that." And before you know it, we're together, we're getting high, mm-hmm. and 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 they, and the cycle continues. Sure. So I was standing on this bridge. And I'm, I'm furious. I already broke my cell phone. And I look up at the sky and I shake in my fist. I'm like, God, if you don't change my life, you know, I'm going to jump off this bridge, etc. cetera. Um, but I didn't, of course. And I, I walked back to my car after I threw my little temper tantrum. I walked back to my car. I climbed into the back seat of my car because it was broke down in the parking lot at the dollar store. And I went to sleep. And the next morning I woke up, my car started. So I'm, I want to go home because at this time, me and my mom were fighting too. 
and I wanted to go make amends with my mother, and I wanted to go home because I really wanted to change my life, and that's where I was headed. And on my way home, I got into a car accident. Somebody pulled out in front of me. They ran a stop sign, pulled out in front of me. Bam. Of course, they hold me accountable for the accident, not the guy that ran the stop sign, because I hit him. So, and it was in a residential area. It wasn't, it wasn't on an interstate or, anything, or you know, a, a, a street. So um, the cops came. Apparently, I had two warrants out for my arrest. They arrested me, got me off the streets, and out of the loop of being the dope man. Now, was that your first time to be arrested during this 25-year period? No, it's not my first time being arrested. Okay. You know, I've been in and out of jail, but nothing, nothing major, like right. speeding tickets or, you know, nothing, 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 nothing major. You know, I'm not a criminal. It's just right. something happened. So, but it was God's way of getting me out of the loop. And if, if Jason ain't available, they go somewhere else. Well, I got to spend seven months in jail. And um, by the time Jason got out of jail, nobody was calling Jason anymore mm. for, uh, you know, for the mm -hmm. extracurricular activities we were involved in. Mm -hmm. So I was freed from that. So when you spend seven months in jail, tell us about that experience. Like I, I have never had a night in jail. So... I don't know what that's like. So I can only imagine seven months. The first time. Right. Okay. And then we're just talking about county jail. I mean, uh -huh. I've been to prison too. So, so the first time this seven months during this, this seven particular seven months, um, I kind of started getting, trying to get serious about knowing about God. Um, and what led you to that? Well, the, the, this conversation I had on the bridge. Mm. After I got in there and after I'd been stopped, you know, I haven't been doing drugs a couple of weeks, I started to get my mind back. Okay. And, and I knew something inside me was telling me God, 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 God. So I wanted to find out more about God. So I joined the prayer circles I got going on in county jail. You know, every little pod has their own little prayer circle. You got five or six men in there who are all about God, mm -hmm. great people. Mm -hmm. They're just making mistakes. So um, <clears throat> I got real serious with myself one night, and I went up to take a shower. I got in the shower, and I, as the water was pouring over my body, I prayed the deepest prayer I probably ever prayed my entire life right then and there, and I asked God, I asked God to help me <clears throat> learn how to be me, mm -hmm. how to learn how to be who he created me to be. And I was sincere and, and desperate. And then I also asked him that I want, I, I asked him, I said, I want, I want you to teach me, Lord. I don't want another man. I don't want, mm -hmm. I don't want a fellow neighbor to teach me about you. I want you to. So I devised these jailhouse earplugs, put them on my ear, grab my little brown Bible, and shut the jail out of my head. And just got in my bunk and started reading that Bible. And um, the rest is history. <laughs> you know, that's where it began. And we're talking 
That was 2008. I was about to ask what year that was. So that was 2008, 2009. I got out. I got out February 19th in 2009 from that from that stay in jail. Right, and that was at county. That was in county. Okay, so day in day out, you're eating, sleeping, reading the Bible. Yeah, right? and circling the room. You know, okay. there's, there ain't nothing else to do in there. You ain't got nowhere to go, but you'll do laps around the you'll do laps around the pod just for exercise or whatever. You yeah. know, think it's a way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So yeah, pretty much was just uh, wondering when I'm going to get out, and and I wasn't going to get out until it was time for me to get out. Okay. So what was your sentence when you went in? It wasn't for seven months. No, I end up getting probation. Um, I got five years probation, uh, but the first 180 days had to be spent in jail. Okay. And that was to get me, to get my mind right from the meth. Right. It was a stipulation. Okay. I didn't learn that stipulation though until after I signed the probation. Mm-hmm. And she says, you get five years probation, sign here, sign there. And she goes, okay, well the first 180, you're going to go, you're going to stay in jail. So I'm like, but. I am so grateful for those 180 days yeah. because even after I was released from jail, I, I relapsed. I got back with the same girlfriend and I relapsed and it only took two months for me to leave the situation again because it was already back to getting hectic and I noticed it. And um, I, I did what it took to, to, uh, to get away from it and that's when I actually went to Teen Challenge. Okay. So I got to go to Teen Challenge in the Permian Basin mm-hmm. in 2009 because I wanted to, I really wanted to change my life, and but I didn't know how to do that and continue the friendships I had because the friendships I had were all drug related. Right, right. You know, I mean, even though I loved these friends to death, I just couldn't continue destroying myself on the inside. You know, it just wasn't working for me inside no more. So this Teen Challenge was in, you said, the Permian Basin? Yes, yeah, in Mid- the Midland Odessa okay, area. So, yep. yeah. Midland Odessa, for those of you that don't know where the Permian Basin is. Yeah. So um, memory serves me correctly from what you started off the conversation with, like West Texas was where you grew up, right? So did you have family that connected you with Teen Challenge? How did you find out? My about uncle, that? my uncle um, Tom, he, uh, he was a meth addict. Mm. And he went to Teen Challenge, and he went and graduated the program, and he he basically walked me in this program and got me started. I mean, all I had to do, all he had to do was take me to the place. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, it was, it was a farm. It had, you know, it had, it had some, it had some livestock on it, and it was a dorm for men. And then we were building a dorm for women when I was there. Mm-hmm. Women were housed somewhere else, but, but at the farm, it was just men. And there was 50 of us in there, at least, going through uh, a 13-month program, very intensive, uh, very, very Christ-centered. And um, I will tell you that um, I haven't been in that program for 12 years, and I Mm -hmm. still follow their their routine. Mm -hmm. I'm up early in the morning. I have to uh, pray and thank God for another blessed day. And and I'm reading my Proverbs, and before the first 20 minutes of my day, I've already, I mean, I've already seek first the kingdom of God, and I'm trying to do the next right thing. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, a, that's a thing I learned in Teen Challenge. Before you talk to your neighbor, you need to talk to God. Mm-hmm. Like God has to be your first thing in the morning. And I, I, can't, I, I, I can't imagine living my life a different way right now. Did you grow up in any type of a religious background, like in the family, any of that? Not one bit. Okay. And I say not one bit because my father, my, my, the, the man that raised me, my stepdad, mm-hmm. I remember this so clearly. Um, my grandfather had passed away. And um, I was at home. It was my great-grandfather, I'm sorry. My great-grandfather had passed away, and I was about 9 or 10 years old. And the extension, this is the only thing I ever heard my stepdad say about God, is we're all going to die, boy, and we're going to meet our maker. And out of the 18 years that man was in my life and raising me, Mm-hmm. That was it. We don't go to church except for funerals. And we don't talk about church. No, my parent, no, no family member has taught me about God. Okay, so your uncle went to Teen Challenge, went through that program. So was there any, do you know how he found out about it? Well, he'd, he'd had his own little, his own little um, stay in jail okay. uh, during his, his, his issues. Mm-hmm. And I'm not if I'm not mistaken, I believe a pastor had come in and told him about Teen Challenge while he was in jail, and he he was gung ho because he wanted to change his life. I mean, right. it was kind of the same thing, just different areas, different different uh, places in our lives. Mm-hmm. He was a little older than I was, and mm-hmm. and um, so that's you know they that's how he found it. So I have so many questions, Jason. So I'm I'm trying to connect the dots here, and that's why these questions are coming that's up. Fine. So if you had no religious, you know, upbringing per se, right? And your uncle really didn't either. When you go to county jail for the, that first stint, right? For that seven months there. Yes. Like, where does one go when one pulls out a Bible and start reading? Do you start in Genesis? Do you start in the New Testament? Like, where did Jason start reading? I'm great. I'm glad you asked that question because this is really, this is really important, you know, um, so when I when I was going to do my my little self baptism in the shower or whatever and ask God to teach me mm-hmm. uh, exactly what His words mean or saying to me, and I put my earplugs in and I, and I got that little Bible out and I started in Genesis one one. And in Genesis one one, the Bible says, "In the beginning, God created." Those are the first five words of the Bible. Mm-hmm. I can remember instinctively shutting my Bible after I read the first five words and making a decision right then and there to believe that God created. You know, there's no Big Bang Theory. There's none of this and none of that that people talk about different ideas or anything solution. Do I want to believe that God created? Mm-hmm. And I did. So I decided to believe that God created. And it just kind of went from there. Uh, I read from where somebody told me Proverbs. My Proverbs was a, was a, was the book of wisdom, and I kind of want to be smart about what I'm doing. So I do this every day. I, today, I read Proverbs 27. I do Proverbs every single day because it's the book of wisdom, mm-hmm. and I want to learn. I want to learn the wisdom to teach my neighbor. To 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 uh, to share with my neighbor, maybe not so much teach, but to say, hey, look at this, this is what this is telling me, mm-hmm. and then we go back and forth, and 
but Proverbs is a is is a life changer for me. Mm-hmm. And were you introduced to that in prison or at Teen Challenge? Because I heard you mention that Teen Challenge. To be honest with you, Matt, I, I really don't remember where I learned that at. Yeah. So once you went through the Teen Challenge program, what happened? So I was uh, uh, medically released from the Teen Challenge program after six months. Um, being raised with, you know, I had a disabled family. My, my brother's disabled. My mother started having strokes, you know, at this age or whatever. And uh, it caused a lot of anxiety in me because I'm the guy that's supposed to be there taking care of them. Okay, I was born to take care of my brother. Mm-hmm. And my mother started having strokes and she really needed me in her life to take, you know, to watch over and take care of her. She didn't just need me. She needed me to be straight, you know, like to be um, focused on on the on the task at hand to, to become the caretaker for her too, mm-hmm. and uh, and it was very important for me to get my my mind right and my life together and 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 to where I can even think about taking care of them. So, uh, you know, that's what I that's that's what I said said to do. So you get out, and then you go back to you come back to Dallas. I did. I got out. And I came back to Dallas, mm-hmm. and it and it it wasn't very long before I got anger angry, okay, and relapsed. Did you get back in with the same crowd again? I mean, it's not it's not it's the same type of crowd. It okay. may not be the same exact people, but it's the same type of crowd. You know, it's there's no different. There's people. There's person that person. It's the same game. You know, Can I ask you a question? Really I'm, gonna, I'm just going to interject and ask a question because this just it intrigues me, right? How does one? I don't even know how to contact a drug dealer to find drugs. Like, I it's just. I don't understand how you can come from not like being out of the circle, coming back, and then you hear you're here. Like, what does that even look like? If you aren't in the same crowd again, how do you find another drug dealer that can give you your drugs? That's my naivety coming out. Okay, so, <laughs> um, you know, if you're looking for something, you'll find it. seeking you will find Mm -hmm. good or bad whatever yeah yeah i mean if you're looking for it you'll find it okay and i and i and i I mean at that time all i had to say i mean all i had i mean i had contacts with old friends hey man can you get me hey man what's up i want to do you know oh man i got you come on Mm -hmm. and it is it takes that long to find what you're looking for okay when it comes to stuff like that, yeah, for real. So, because right. everybody wants you to do it, mm-hmm. they want you. They want you to be a part of the in crowd. You know? So, mm-hmm. so it's not hard, man. It's really not. Okay. And that's anywhere, not just here in Dallas. That's 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 any it's and everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. All right. So as we're you, you come back, you relapse. <clears throat> so now we're back in your so normal life. Back, yeah, back to the normal life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I wanted to say earlier that, that, that drugs was normal for me. It was the normal life for okay. me. It's not a surprise that I become this drug dealer because 
look at the parents I grew up with. I mean, my parents were introducing me to drugs at the age of 16. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I got smart one day, and it's like, man, if I always want drugs, I just sell drugs. Mm -hmm. Because not only am I buying the drug for the, for the buyer, but the dealer's hooking me up with drugs too. So I get drugs on both sides. So guess what? I got twice the drugs just for being the middleman. Mm -hmm. And that's where it started. It's like mm -hmm. that's all of a sudden, I always had a pocket full of it and 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 and, and too many friends to deal with and stressed mm -hmm. out and man, it just it, it just drove me crazy. Yeah. You know, and it made me crazy. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so I get I get out of the teen challenge and I come back a relapse and I was on that five year probation. Well I stopped recording. Mm. And then um probation officer found me on the phone and I've always been kind of a man of of, of his word. Like, if I say I'm going to do something, it doesn't matter if I'm high on, on drugs or not. If I say I'm going to do something, I do it. So the probation officer got me to say that I'm going to come in and report. So I came in and reported. And I was high. I mean, I got high in the parking lot. And um, I told her. I told her I was high. Mm -hmm. She gave me a drug test. And she don't even, she told me, she don't even know how I'm alive. Because of how much is in my system. But she let me go that day. She hmm. let me go home. And then the next time, the next month, she, you know, she gave me a chance to go get it off of them, whatever. The next month, I come in and told her I can't quit unless I have some help. I just can't. Mm -hmm. And so I was arrested. And then I was sent to Safe P. And Safe P is a prison for treatment. You're incarcerated, you're dressed in white, just like any, and it's ran by TDC guards, and, um, and you've got this program, and they dissect your thinking. Like, they, they break your thinking down. They have ways and means and strategies and counselors, and, and it's just amazing, now that I'm back on this side of that, mm -hmm. you know, I can look back and say that this is amazing that this system worked and is working because I use these thinking errors and these 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 uh, uh, thinking errors as, as examples for others in my life today, mm -hmm. like uh, unrealistic expectations. You know, they'll teach you about unrealistic expectations and and um, do you recognize it? You know, like uh, I expect you to act this way and behave this way, and I expect the world to rotate around my wants and my beliefs, and it's just like this is unrealistic. And um, you recognize that in your own thinking. Uh, in time, mm -hmm. like over time, I realized that hey, I've got some unrealistic expectations because I expect people to behave the way I think they should behave, and they don't. Mm -hmm. You know, have you ever experienced that? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and then. Um, Uniqueness, man. The world, the rules don't apply to me. I am unique, and and um, they don't apply to me. Mm -hmm. And there's a lots of others, of course. But this program taught me these things. They pointed these things out to me, and it's just like, you know, if I really want to learn, work on Jason, then Jason needs to work on these behaviors. Mm -hmm. So I do. I'm, I do my best. Mm -hmm. So you went through that program, or that treatment, right? I did. 
at I, Safe P, right? It was and a nine. It was a nine month stay. Nine month. Okay. They told me the day I walked in there and says, "Well, this is nine months. So you just look at it like this." And you don't um, get out early. No. You stay oh, the no. entire nine, nine months. Nine months. Okay. Day to day. You look at it like this. You're in the womb. You're about to be born again into a new life. Mm -hmm. Take these nine months to grow. You know, and that's, 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 that was the most basic, simple, logical explanation of this stay. I could, and it was great. Now, this program itself was tough because they had you feet on the floor at five o'clock in the morning. Feet on the floor at 5 a.m. You got to get up, make your bed, this and that. You got classes to go to and you're programming all day. You go from one class to another, another to another, to another, to another. Oh, it's lunchtime. Then you go to another, another, you know, and before you know it, it's, it's chow time at the end of the day. You get your little, you know, you stop programming around six or seven o'clock. You got enough time to, to uh, eat you a snack, take a shower and get ready for bed because feet on the floor at 5 a.m. comes early. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, I mean, it's 16 hours a day. And, and at first, like the first couple, you know, month or so, it's hard to get in that routine, but after that month, it's like the time flew by. It's like you're so busy, mm -hmm. you know. You were feet on the floor, and then it's now feet off the floor, and then it's time to, and it's just wow! I couldn't believe that the nine months went by so fast. Right. So uh, I'm I'm very grateful that um, I, I was able to go through that safe P. So if math is is right up here in this brain of mine, we're about 2010-ish, 2011? Yeah, um, 2011, I was released from the safe peak. Okay. Um, I, I do have anger issues. You know, my, my, my parents got, you know, taught me at a really young age that, that I'm angry. Uh, I probably inherited that from my stepfather. He taught me how to be really angry. He'd wake up in the morning and he was really angry every day. Um, so it didn't take very long for me to get angry and relapse again. After all that programming, I, I got angry and I relapsed again because when I get angry, I don't care. You know, it's just like I, for a moment, I just don't care. Mm -hmm. And so I went back to Safe P on a relapse track. They call it relapse track and it's a six month stay this time. So I go back and um, I do a different, I kind of do a different program in a different place, but I only do one treatment plan because I'm the problem. It has nothing to do with the world I'm facing. And um, I'm not gonna, I, I needed to work on me. Mm -hmm. So during this time in Safe P, I got into my word really big. Um, I read a few books uh, from, from, from uh, uh, Joel Osteen and, 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 and uh, of course, Joyce Myers. Mm -hmm. Joyce Myers' words helped me change the law. She has this battle plan for I'm sorry, it's Battlefield of the Mind book. And I dissected that book and start, studied that book so much. And it helped me tremendously in a lot of my thinking er mm -hmm. errors. Um, and I got, like I said, I got real serious during these four months. And I did my treatment plan, like within the first week I was there. I went through the whole thing, did, did, did all the work I needed to do, all the written work, all the essays and everything I needed to do for that treatment plan. I turned that treatment plan in and my counselor says, are you ready for another treatment plan? I told her no. I said, the rest of my time here is going to be personal, personal, um, personal, uh, oh, I can't remember the word, but it's basically a time to rebuild 
myself personally. I'm going to take some personal time. And I'm going to read my Bible. And I'm going to study my Bible. And I'm going to read things that pertain to my Bible. Because that's the only answer for me. I mean, you can counsel me all you want. This and that. I understand that that uh, they told me that I wasn't even an equation to my to the, my problems in life. Which means I had all these issues and had all these responsibilities and boulders on my shoulders that I was never even a part of. I was born into. I was born into this disabled family with with addictions and and uh, I never had a chance to be me. I don't even know who I am, you know, because I've always changed diapers or this and that and take care of me. All my, and everybody just come, uh, comes and goes. It's just like it's like ninety percent of my life has been lived for somebody else. Right. And so I, I took some time to get to know who I am and who I want to be. So when you go through Safe P, does that violate probation? Is that five years still ticking? Or yeah, it's has still it been taking. Extended? It's still taking. Okay. You know, they didn't. They didn't add no. I didn't get no new charges or anything like that. It's just. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a. It was written in as a stipulation of my probation when I relapsed. They just said, "We'll just. You know, it's just kind of a, a little paragraph. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to send you back to. They've safety. done this before. They they, they, they know yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. You know, on that legal stuff. They they just add a little paragraph to your probation and, no big deal. So I actually successfully discharged my probation okay. in 2013. 2013. All right. Yeah. All right. Yep. A little closer to today. My last time I got high on meth was um, February 7th, 2012. Okay. So I haven't touched it since then. And, I'm, you know, I'm not going to. Yeah. I love my life too much today to, uh, to uh, even think about stuff like that anymore. So that was after the second safety. That was... That was the day he sent me, my judge sent me back to relapse track. Mm. Said February 7th, 2012 was the day okay. I was rearrested and went to county to wait mm -hmm. for chain to go to, to go to relapse track safety. Gotcha. February 7th. Okay. So I'd had, I'd, I'd went and did six more months in jail and I got out in August. Okay. So I haven't even been in jail and I'm so happy. Yeah. Yeah. So that was your last time in jail? As an inmate. As an inmate. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about that. What does that mean, as an inmate? Well, as an inmate means that um, I, I like to be a volunteer okay. today. I think my passion in life is, is to be a prison minister. I want to go in there and teach people about Jesus because I think I have what it takes. I know their language. Mm -hmm. I can grab their attention, and I'm good with it. I'm really good with it. Um, a couple of years ago, before the pandemic hit, I was actually volunteering and going into the prisons. Um, actually, state, Hutchins State Jail here. Mm -hmm. And um, it was two days before my mother passed away. I went in there and I was on the mic for the first time. And uh, needless to say, I kind of ripped the roof off the place. Uh, blew, you know, blew people's minds and, and even my own. And I just... I just let God take over, and it's, I couldn't believe the things that I was saying. I mean, it's like as I was saying them, I was learning them at the same time, and it was just weird. But uh, it's it's what I need to do in life. I mean, it is what I have been sent here to do. And I believe that all the, the things that I've been through the first 40 years of my life have led up to what I'm about to do for the rest of my life. Mm. And, um, and that's all I really want to do in life. So what does Jason want to do? The rest of your life. 
I want to I, I, I want to teach people about Jesus. I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about I want to talk about God. And I want to talk about how Jesus leads us to God. You know, a couple of weeks ago, while we were at church, and Pat used you and me, mm-hmm. stood us up, mm-hmm. and he was talking about God holding the hands of God and holding the hands of the world, okay? Right. You remember this, right? I, yep. I was Very wearing the same shirt, okay? <laughs> All right. I wasn't. No, yeah. you wasn't, but I was wearing the same shirt. So, I didn't do this because of, I, didn't want to dis, I didn't want to disrupt Pat's teaching at the time, but I believe that our lives are meant to hold the hand of God and hold the hand of our neighbor. Mm-hmm. You're going to be the middleman between God and neighbor. Okay, this is what Jesus did. Mm-hmm. Jesus come down here and he's the middleman between God and neighbor. But his mission in life is to join the hand of neighbor to God. Mm-hmm. Where God, where the neighbor is holding God's hand. Because Jesus helped him hold his hand so the middleman kind of steps out a little bit and and then the neighbor gets to have the relationship with God because of Jesus I know that's just my perspective you know that's the way I kind of look at things but I believe and more I study what Jesus was doing on this planet that's what he was doing trust God trust God mm-hmm. just you know ask God and trust God I mean, he's always talking about God through me, you know. Pay attention to my truth, this way of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I will teach you the ways to live in truth and experience life. I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing, you know. And I really wish I could put my brain on, 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 on front street for everybody to see what's going on in my head at the same time, but... Mm-hmm. You know, I can only do so much, right? Hey, everyone. That's the end of part one with Jason Statzer. Stay tuned next week as we dive deeper into his exciting and interesting life. The Matt Hilton Show would like to thank our sponsors, Hilton Realty Advisors and Maria Leach with the First United Mortgage Group. The Matt Hilton Show would also like to thank our partners, the Who Do You Know organization. You can find out more at WDYK.org. If you'd like to contact Matt, or know a fascinating person with an inspiring story that would make a great guest, reach out to the show at TheMattHiltonShow at gmail.com.